Well, hello, Casey. Hi, Gary. How you doing? I'm doing very well. So, ladies and gentlemen, my guest this evening on Garden Pepper Presents is Casey Nova. Um, we have just been friends for a few months now on Garland on on Facebook, and uh, I just really like the way he articulates things. I like the, his grasp of his history and his ability to share it in a way that's interesting. Um, also, when any just pending life questions have been out there amongst friends, he seems to have good questions or good advice. So. I thought it would be interesting to bring Casey on. Uh, so one of my challenges is, as a host is be, bringing on people I don't know. So this is fun for me, and I hope it's fun for Casey, and I hope we have a great show, which I think we will. What do you think, Casey? I'm in. Nice. Let's do this. So you um, have had a, a, a real long and kind of, ventured life i would have to say um not real long i mean i don't know how old you are but uh, you've you've had a ventured life from what i can tell um where, where did your life start where where were you in the beginning of all of it where'd they cut the cord they cut the cord in eugene uh because my parents lived in florence oregon mm. where my dad was a sawmill worker and that that was apparently the nearest hospital uh, yeah. One of five kids, the middle kid, and uh, my dad had been a uh, World War II U.S. Navy vet uh, on an uh, aircraft carrier as a fighter plane mechanic and sometimes crewman on subchaser airplanes uh, dropping bombs on U-boats. <laughs> they, they don't know whether they got any U-boats, but they dropped bombs. My mother had worked in a, the PX at a... Uh, a POW camp in Southern Oregon where she was uh, selling cigarettes and candy to Nazi uh, prisoners of war. And, and really? she said, we had one of those. Where was that located? We did. She lived in Medford and, uh, and that's how she spent world war two. She said they were very flirtatious. And, and I yeah. think it's fair to say she was a beautiful blonde. Um, so. and, her, <laughs> and that's, that's where I, I grew up. So you grew up down, down in the Medford? Coast. Oh, down at the coast. No, in Florence. In, in Florence. In Florence. Yeah. So yeah. in Florence, I I really like Florence. It's a beautiful, it's mainly on the river. Yep. What is that river that comes through there? Sayusla. Sayusla River. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the depot uh, where you can dine on the river there used to be upriver in one of the That's little right. towns. Yeah, it used to be, uh, I think, uh, I don't know, Cushman or something like that. But um, mm -hmm. her, uh, my, my mother's dad was a, a professional boxer and a and an Oregon State police captain, and and uh, and I was a skinny little kid. But he, and I think, and I think my mother told him, "You got to teach this kid to box because it's a it was a tough town." Sawmill town, farming town, logging town, and fish, fishermen. And so he taught me how to box as a kid, which I hated because he would, if I failed to put my guard up, he'd pop me in the nose and that always hurt. But I did learn to box. Um, and then I, now I think that I, I suffered a little bit as kids do when they, they lose fights and they want to oh, get into never, a lot of fights. 
I've never liked boxing. Never, ever liked it. First off, I'm not a uh, high twitch muscle reflex. And, you know, this comes about years after I find this out, that there are people who actually have high twitch, like my brother, who's 11 months younger than me, and people who have low twitch muscles. Well, you know, I've never heard that term. Oh, <laughs> well, you haven't? No. No, but so it this makes is, sense. Yeah, it, it came about in studies of, of sprinters and these high impact muscles these they're high twitch muscles is what they call it they're muscles that that contract faster than the average muscles so you know these kids that are extremely athletic when you're growing up and you you know they can just kind of stand and do a flip it doesn't matter that's because their muscles will always go to their balance point because they don't have to think about it much their muscles are highly reactive Okay, I I seen kids stand and do a flip. I don't think I was ever able to do that, but I but I did learn to box, and I and I he uh, taught me a few techniques, and they they were old school uh, boxing Mm -hmm. techniques. And he was a good boxer, a tough Mm -hmm. guy, and he just he was saying, you know, guys that dance around, you just plant yourself and rock back and forth, and you let them. (laughs) <laughs> let them run out of breath because they're dancing around a lot and you just stand there and, and if they take a swing at you, you rock back and then you, anyway, various techniques. And he, he also emphasized the fact that uh, I was a right-handed guy. And so that I should mostly develop my left hand. Um, and so I did, I, I would yeah, keep my left hand uh, as though it wasn't my major <laughs> punching arm. And then I would use it. And, and i it's only apropos because uh, in my later years, in my 20s and my 30s, it, when I got very hungry and needed money, you know, between jobs and during college, I boxed at times, and a hundred dollar purse was a big deal. So wow. <laughs> I don't Just go get your head knocked around for a hundred bucks. What, yeah, what year was that? What year was that? Uh, I was. Uh, I graduated. Uh, college in 79 and uh, mm-hmm. uh, got my political science and U.S. history history degree and I was boxing uh, but before that hell I was boxing when I was uh, 18 19 and I and I did it right in through my 30s and even uh, in later years but, but you know um, so you have I an affinity it. for it you hate it but I, you, you know, have an affinity for it obviously I mean you still do it I would Sometimes. say, and I, I'm just a, I like to think that I'm a pacifist, <laughs> but I, I could do that. Some guys can golf and some guys could play tennis and fish and bowl. Uh, and I know how to box. It's just the way, something I learned as a kid and I developed and I did well and, and I could do it. Uh, but it, it, you know, blows hurt. <laughs> They're terrible. As you can imagine, I've had, uh, four broken noses, uh, oh, goodness. one broken jaw, two teeth knocked out, uh, you know, a couple of good concussions. And so it's a, it's a brutal sport. It's a brutal sport. It's fun <laughs> as hell to watch. It really is. I mean, especially if you got somebody who's just phenomenal, you know, well-poised and, yeah. you know, fast. And Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just not a very, I'm just a regular sized guy and not very big. Uh, but I've had to fight guys that were much bigger. Um, well, I mean, and if you're a boxer, to... they're not going to see that coming. They're not going to, I mean, unless they're uh, well-trained themselves. 
Yeah, it's tech. It's a matter of technique, and it, it does fascinate me. I don't, I don't watch boxing very much, but, but it does fascinate me. Even and really, lately, for some reason, I got into uh, Jack Johnson, who was a uh, oh, yeah. African American boxer. You know, and his, mm-hmm. he was a kid who was born just after the Civil War, so his parents were former slaves, and he wound up working on the same plantation they his parents after after slavery ended stuck with the plantation uh to use that the term that they used plantation and and so mm-hmm. he grew up laboring on that farm uh and uh and then he was tossed into these uh free-for-all fights where they would i think they put six or eight uh black boys in a ring uh blindfolded and it was uh, and they'd have to fight until the last one was standing and so jack johnson uh went through that for years horrible thing it, it was to entertain rich white guys and, and in any case he holy he shit. became very effective and and as a boxer during his boxing career he was like a genius this, yeah like chicken fight no doubt and it was uh he became a genius at defense because when you're fighting and you're you're blindfolded and and you're just going on um of the force, I guess, where the next blow is going to come from or where your foe is, uh, that he really developed this. He'd go into the ring not to destroy his opponent, but to survive, to, mm-hmm. to leave that ring alive. And, and uh, anyway, that was, his, that was the way he approached boxing. I've been watching old films of him uh, in, in his famous uh, fights uh, around the world and reading his life story. I think yeah, that's that's kind of cool. <laughs> still, still a horrible thing, and it'll and your brain gets rattled. I'm sure. Oh, I imagine. I mean, what a what a horrible existence, really. I mean, but he, <laughs> but he ends up the the you know super great at what he does. He did. It's a it's a long story, but he uh, you know, Jack Johnson was uh, at one point he, he was not allowed to fight white boxers and so and he was heavyweight and and the, the heavyweight championship of the world was held by white boxers who refused to fight a black guy so uh, jack johnson uh when one guy said i will i will retire before one heavyweight champion said i will retire before i uh, fight a black man and he did retire so then another guy became champ and then jack johnson followed that guy around and and uh, harassed him to get him to agree to fight. And ultimately uh, the guy did and Johnson made mincemeat of him and became heavyweight champion, which was, was, was a blow to the white race at the time. And he, Oh my God. Yeah. yeah it's just, well, you know, actually in, at the, uh, the, when he was about to win, they, they shut off the cameras and they you know, they said, we can't, you can't let people suffer through seeing this. Then he was champion. And then of course he was uh, the, uh, the champ that had retired who would never fight a black man. Uh, that guy was begged to come back and to take back the uh, championship. And he was a boxer that was so effective. He had knocked a guy dead in the ring and he had never, I think he had never fallen down, never been knocked down. Um, so he did, he came back and agreed to, fight uh, Johnson 
uh, and he won. <laughs> he won, and and uh, that is Jack Jack Johnson win the, the fight and became undisputed wow. heavyweight champion. Wow. But that was such a terrible thing that. So the telling uh, of the story is Jack Johnson names lives, but the other guy was the other guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then Johnson had to go into exile. Long story, but he was he was a the, the uh, people said we got to do something about this guy, you know, and and so the. They drummed up some charges against him for violation of the Mann Act that he transported a white woman across state lines for uh, illicit immoral purposes. And he was uh, tried by a white jury and convicted. And, you know, he's about to go to prison uh, because he's been convicted. And, you know, you're going to report to prison next Tuesday. And he split. <laughs> he, took, he, he left the country. Um, Just got out. He, yeah, he bailed. He must have had a suitor. Uh, to the Vanderbilt <laughs> behind it. They're like, hey, we'll get yeah. you out. We like and he was gone for five five years, and uh, I think he was running around wherever he, he could, uh, Italy and other places, and he finally, and he was getting older and a little softer and wasn't yet having, uh, wasn't training and having fight experience, but finally they uh, arranged for a fight to occur in Cuba because he couldn't go back to the United States because he'd be go to prison, so they had him fight in Cuba, and in that fight he was finally beat. But you know, the it was a long fight, and he was finally beat. And that, you know, he, story goes on from there. But he, just an incredibly fascinating guy. But his whole life, he, despite the fact that he's considered one of the greatest fighters of all time, was affected you know, I knew, by I knew cool he racism. Was, and just a little bit of his story. But thank you so much for sharing it because. <laughs> I know, I know much more now, and that's good. There you go, there you go. But anyway, I wasn't I'm just a fighter uh, in my own, in my own mind, and and some boxing, but so that other things, other things too. Yeah. So you you grow up out in Florence, and then you go off to college from there. And what would wait did, in Florence? Yeah. Did you do fishing? There's fishing that's, that happens there. Is the coast there? Buggies, motorcycles. Yeah. What did you they do are, out and there? I, I was a. Uh, my family were fishermen and hunters, and I and I did both hunting and fishing. Um, and we moved to Tigard when I was a teenager. Uh, oh, you so did. I graduated from Tigard High School. Yeah, and by by the time that I graduated from Tigard High School, I had I had made a determination. Well, I had as a boy that I wanted to be governor of Oregon. That was my goal, um, hmm. and I think that was just related to one of those vague little memories in my who, who grandfather. Was, who inspired you, Vic? No, it wasn't a politician. Uh, it was uh, it, it was that my when I was a little kid, my grandfather took me in his VW Bug one day and pulled up out in front of a house that, to my mind, was a mansion. And he said, this is where the governor lives. And, uh, and it probably wasn't much of a, uh, wasn't a very big house, but I lived still in there. a sawmill shack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's is still it? there, right? Mahonia, Mahonia Hall, I believe. So. Well, this was so. way before Mahonia Hall. Oh, uh, it was. And uh, yeah, it, it was, I think it was near bush park but it wasn't that i've seen it in recent years and it's not that awesome but it cool house but to me it was unbelievable and so i think that at 
that was when my ambition to become governor began probably around age eight or so but i it wasn't that i want to grow up and live in a mansion it was to my mind it was that my grandfather respected the governor so much that he came and said you need to look at this this is the governor's house and i thought that means a lot it means a lot the people entrusted this guy and it was a guy at the time uh, with uh with leading the state and so i uh, was a student body president in high school and I, I was already uh volunteering for political campaigns and and i thought well i'm gonna train for that and i went to portland state and studied political science with an emphasis on oregon government and that was the idea I, i'm president i'm just the governor of oregon that's my whole my whole plan and worked on a lot of campaigns during that time. Um, but I think that I think that ultimately, as we shape our ambitions in this life, I had various reasons why I thought I ultimately decided I didn't want to do that. And one of those was that I didn't want to hang out with politicians. <laughs> That's what it come down to. I would work on campaigns and and uh, and I would meet a lot of politicians. I think I don't want to I don't want to be one of these guys. Or if you win. It'd be nice to win, and then you've got the responsibility. Uh, but then you're spending your days with um, uh, with lobbyists and with with uh, you know uh, with politicians and bureaucrats. And I thought, well, that's not the way I want to live. Mm-hmm. But I think that I think that ambition, to an extent, has stuck with me still. I think it's so you, you want to have an, an effect. Yeah, that's the deal. Because if you, if you, you may, re, re, there was a movie years ago uh, called The Candidate, and it starred Robert Redford, and, and it was, I think, one of Redford's ideas that he wanted to do this movie. Um, and the movie was about an idealistic young poverty lawyer uh, who was talked into running for the United States Senate on basis that. He couldn't win because the incumbent Republican was too powerful and was going to win again. And but this guy could run and get the Democratic nomination. He would get to go out there and and the political uh, advisors and consultants would make a good buck, and the guy would get to speak out. But then in the end, he would lose. And um, in the course of the campaign, during the movie, in the course of the campaign, he became more and more craven and he began speaking in banalities saying nothing uh, making slick commercials and ultimately he won <laughs> so he is the movie ends and he's a united states senator and he turns to his campaign manager and asks the famous question what do we do now uh, mm-hmm. because he had no idea he didn't know what he wanted to do it was just a you know, he, he won the Sorry. thing, and now he's, and now he's going to be uh, responsible for all of the people of his state, and had no, not a damned idea what he wanted to do. I think there's so a bit me, of that with each one of them, but usually they yeah. figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, they do. Uh, they do. I, I've never favored term, term limits because I think that they, uh, an election is the term limits, and I think mm-hmm. that if and they said, yeah, but these guys become so powerful and they become rich and you just can't stop them. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can. It, 
it's just a matter of the vote. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you really want, uh, but everybody wants everybody wants their bad guy. That's right. Right. That's Everybody's right. bad guy is a bad guy to somebody else's good guy. Right? Yeah, it's, we just and it seems to be done <laughs> through zoning. It is gerrymandering exactly there. They're Frankenstein districts just so that you can keep the same guy in. Mm-hmm. But I, I did. I still work on campaigns at times, and and uh, I've had some experience dealing with government in Washington, D.C. and Salem. Um, but um, and I ran for the state senate once, and I got whipped and didn't didn't run again. Yeah, it doesn't feel good to get whipped. So what <laughs> district? You're out in Willamina. I'm in Willamina. I was uh, Senate District 12. It was 2008, and the uh, incumbent uh, senator was uh, retiring. And so it, it's a uh, there was a 10 percent uh, re- Republican registration edge at the time, and it's mm-hmm. considered a re- conservative district. Mm-hmm. And um, the incumbent all natural resource rep- all natural resource areas are. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really a diverse and fascinating place, but but it did have that edge. And the uh, incumbent state uh, representative, Brian Bolquist, who okay. uh, became rather infamous last year by uh, threatening to shoot the state police if they came to get him, force him to vote on mm-hmm. climate change and, uh, and a bunch of other uh, shenanigans during his last his 12 years uh, he was the guy i ran against and and uh i've worked hard and i met i like to think thousands of people if not just hundreds but i mm-hmm. and i spoke and i marched in parades with my kids and and uh i think i gave it my damnedest probably could have done better but uh i i lost i i picked up the democratic votes and uh and yeah. some of the independents is still still lost but i didn't so what's that have district that burning ambition like parts of Salem and it includes parts of Marion. Yeah. uh, Just West Salem, parts of West Salem, Marion County, that edge of it, uh, Polk County for sure with Dallas and, uh, and had McMinnville in it, went up to the outskirts of Newburgh and then down uh, east to Jefferson and then uh, as far South as Monroe. So I ran around that district like a madman for months and, and uh, uh it goes just, all the way around salem down to jefferson yeah it's screwy wow. uh, um, and it has been altered since 2008 and now it includes parts of uh and salem uh, itself has a couple well. districts in it yeah i uh i know paul evans who is the state legislator he lives in monmouth and so he's but I'm not sure what what his district looks like on the map. But a great guy. Yeah, um, I think uh, our guy Schrader. He, oh, that's state. And never mind. He's Congress. Yeah. Yeah, Kurt we got Schrader. Lewis. We got Lewis. Um, I think yeah. he could basically. I think we, he basically goes Cordon Road. I think it goes out to Mill City, Scotts Mills. Um, Where about you live? Uh, Silverton, and then up towards oh, Markham. It kind of goes up towards yeah. Markham. Yeah. And I think it gets part of Woodburn, uh, but it goes all the way up the canyon too. Yeah. Well, I thought it would be, I thought about uh, what if I pull this off and then I, and then I could be a 
state senator and um, and what I could do. Um, when I thought, and I think probably like most candidates, I didn't really think of the, so wouldn't it be an honor? I said, well, how is it an honor? It's a job. <laughs> it's a job. Uh, you didn't apply for the job and get hired or not hired. You applied for the job and the, the voters gave you the job and now you got to show up and you got to, you got to show something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, you, you use common sense. Then also you, you behave like a good student. <laughs> You'd be a, Keep learning. be a lousy student and not do the, not do the homework and not read the books and, and show up and kind of wing it. <laughs> or you can actually, uh, prepare yourself and, and understand all of the issues from every angle and do your damnedest to uh, understand what those who oppose you uh, have in mind, have, have as objectives and where they're coming from and work it out. Doesn't mean that everything does work, but it seems like that that's what, you know, what uh, political leadership and representation boils down to. Mm-hmm. That was my view anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Uh didn't get your, uh, your dream. That would have been fun. You know, I think, uh, when we expand ourselves out into new horizons, we, we definitely improve at most of us, you know, unless forces outside of ourselves, we acquiesce to and become victim to our own desires. I don't know No, that happens too. True. I think it's just as fascinating to be a, an involved citizen. And that's what participatory democracy is all about. Some of us uh, uh, run for office and not enough of us run for office. Uh, Some of us uh, remain in office for years and years, but some of us just put our time and our energy and our money into trying to elect uh, the kind of government that that we want. And I think Mm -hmm. that's just as exciting and just as fulfilling. Well, Nick Um, Hanauer, you know, he's like this, almost billionaire up in Seattle and he puts his money behind legislative action. So he was behind the $15 minimum wage, which was supposed to tank Seattle, which is not happened yet. Even in the COVID it's still a prosperous city right now. Right. And so, I mean, you can put your, you can put your, you know, energy or money behind you know, let or or time, like you know, with you, you've got the skills to put the right amount of time and to, you know, make legislation. You know, I think there was uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, a lot of the of what we know of Jefferson, other than his uh, writing the Declaration of Independence and the uh, he's getting Virginia. some flack these days because of Sally and <laughs> he, the others. He's getting some deserved flack these days. And his kids but he, with Sally. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's probably uh, irrefutable. Uh, but he, after leaving the White House in uh, 1809, he lived until July 4, 1826. And in those years, uh, nearly 20 years, I guess 17 years or so that he lived, he wrote a lot of letters, which people did at the time, and he certainly did. And I have always read those letters with great fascination and one of them i don't know who he wrote to maybe john adams but he was writing about his idea of uh of american government and at least uh, the place of the people and he wrote in so many words he wrote that he thought that 
public service, uh, serving in political office, say being a legislator or a, a mayor or a city councilor or a governor or a president, those were duties. And he said that if you are, for example, a successful and a good and honest and hardworking uh, shopkeeper or farmer or surveyor or soldier or whatever it is that you do, uh, and you've made some money and you've raised your family and uh, you, then you have a duty to your country to to uh, serve so not to 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 run for office and and so we got to have candidates we can't just have two of <laughs> two lousy choices uh, and then we get two of the best snake oil salesmen running for office and they wind up running our country we as he said we can't have that so we have to have the best uh, the best and the brightest and those of us that we proven themselves uh, able and trustworthy, they owe it to their country to run for office. And then he said, once they've done that and they've served, then they need to go home. And he said, and, and go back to your farms and go back to your shops, but you ha will have made your contribution uh, to your country. Somewhat like you're, uh, let's say you're a farmer and you're called to go off to war and, right. you, and you fight that war for a year or two and so, uh, hopefully you survive and then you come home. But you don't, you don't want you to stay in the army. You come home, go back to your farm. But thank you very right. much for your service to our country. That's how Jefferson saw it. And he, he, he said, what I don't want to see is professional politicians. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he, of course, was uh, Secretary of State and he had served in the State House in, in Virginia and was president for two terms and also vice president for a term. But he... Never Ambassador saw himself as a professional. Yeah, and the bastard of France. Yeah, he wasn't a professional politician. He just did that because it was something he owed his country, and and that was his concept. So he said, "I just I don't want to see people who are politicians for <laughs> decades." Uh, but of course, that's what we've got. So, in all of your readings, um, I, I just want to wonder what your take is on what his relationship was with Sally. I think that I did read uh, when I was in high school, and I still remember parts of it. It was a, a biography by Fawn Brody, uh, and I've read subsequent books on Jefferson and done some research on him. And I think that it's it's not a, a stretch to believe that since that was so common, that is uh, uh, sexual assault, abuse, rape of uh, mm -hmm. slaves by white uh, slaveholders. Um, I don't see any reason why we would say that, that Jefferson was any exception. He did, he did keep his uh, oh, slaves. No. I wouldn't say he was an exception. I, no, I, he I definitely was a man of his time in that regard. But in stuff I've read, and this may be just the, the stuff I've read, it seems to me they had a very close and kind relationship, but, and I think it's even been construed that, that he really loved her. And if, you know, it was 1972, he might've been the guy to say, Hey, let's get married. Well, I think that's a, it's not a separate question. That is whether uh, he is the fa was the father of uh, Sally's kids. And I think there's, there's some 
DNA evidence, but it could have been another Jefferson male, right? Could have been his brother or whoever it was. It was probably uh, or a cousin. But I, let's just I say it was him, and love. that would be it. Yeah, the, the separate question is: Was it not rape, and was it uh, was it that uh, they were in love? And I do know that uh, she did accompany his. He was a widower at the time, and uh, she accompanied him and or accompanied his daughters on a, a trip across the Atlantic however long that took back in those days and mm-hmm. uh, went to uh, wherever he was in London or Paris. And, and uh, so, and there were reports, uh, contemporary reports of how close they were. So I think mm-hmm. that that's probably accurate. Uh, I mean, it is still aggression just because of the structure. That's of what I would say. That's why I say structure. it's I mean, not. She's a slave, no matter whether he loves her or not. Exactly. And she's not free <laughs> and he would not grant her freedom and he did not grant his son freedom. So, I mean, there's some bullshit with him, but I do love him. I mean, and that's the thing is how, how do we do this? <laughs> I cannot not love Bill Cosby's work because Bill Cosby's a dick, but I can at the same time. You know what I mean? Yep. It, we can, it doesn't we can make it as a... good now. I mean, I, I remembered finding so much joy in Bill Cosby's comedy. It was so funny to me. I loved it. I knew most of the skits by heart and could redo them. And he took that away. He did. But it's uh, it's similar to, for me, it's similar to uh, uh, Mel Gibson. I, I, I'm sure I liked Mad Max and I, and I liked, probably liked Braveheart when I saw it. Uh, but when I heard about uh, Mel Gibson and, and really there's no question about it he's anti-semitic he's guy a Zionist. he's a Zionist guy. yeah I and, and now I can't I, if I if I see on Netflix there's a Mel Gibson I just can't watch it I just can't bring myself to do it and I think God, I right. think I want to watch Braveheart again I can't I just yeah. can't bring myself to do it yeah, similarly there's a whole lot the, of country people who can't listen to the Dixie Chicks right now <laughs> I know <laughs> same deal same deal yeah (laughs) but i and it's not that i I wouldn't still enjoy mad max or at least the the first one it's not that i wouldn't enjoy that if i watched it i just couldn't i don't think i could separate myself from it and i think that's son of a bitch you know and so um yeah same thing for cosby i don't i don't i don't know that i could watch i could watch uh (laughs) I spy. Is that what he's in? Listen yeah. to his albums, and I did. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. As a kid. What's I that movie with him? And yeah, no, you can't. You can't. And so they jade it for you, and that's what sucks. <laughs> I mean, and is that why we're just saying, hey, maybe we don't do any more? Um, maybe we don't do any more statues because of people. It's you know, it's kind of like where subways. Subway had Jared, and now they're like, okay, how do you find out whether your people are perverts first before you make a person oh, your, your person? Sorry, sorry, Subway. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, in early June, I had uh, business travel down to uh, San Francisco. So I took my five kids and their ages, uh, my five youngest, because I have seven, but I took my 21 through 14 year old with me on this trip. And it was. Uh, and, and everything was closed down, but and we had to wear masks, which we did. 
and it was San Francisco was pretty strange under those circumstances. A mm-hmm. beautiful summer day with no tourists, but we went to to uh, a Golden Gate Park and uh, were able to socially distance walk through there, and we walked up to where the statues of Francis Scott Key and uh, Ulysses S. Grant and and several other statues are. It's, it's really a beautiful part of the park, and I and I walked up to the statues, and I and I just happened, and this was a, a Tuesday, and uh, I just happened to be telling my kids about Francis Scott Key, you know, and uh, the Star Spangled Banner, but I but I gave them some other uh, background on Francis Scott Key, uh, with reference to slavery, and uh, then I, and we walked around to U.S. Grant, and I told them a couple of U.S. Grant anecdotes from his memoirs and and uh, what a what an effective general he was. But I mentioned the fact that he was the last of the presidents to have been a slaveholder. His, his wife had been a, a, in a slaveholding family and had been gifted with some slaves when they married. And he had a slave of his own before the Civil War, obviously. But I, I just mentioned that. But I told mm-hmm. a story about, about uh, what a good general he was. And, just, and then we left. San Francisco and came back to Oregon and just two days later those statues were torn down so I we we got to, well, got to look at them and so think, people are saying yeah. tearing down history and I and you just did that you just shared history with your kids yeah yeah so, I was and and I did and I I didn't have any idea of course that this is just a beautiful a summer Tuesday and people were strolling in the park and riding bikes and wearing their masks and staying away from each other. But, but two days later, there was a, a, a crowd that went there and they, and they uh, got the ropes around them and yanked them down. And, and uh, I, I don't really lament that uh, because I don't either. I, well, I feel like what you did was historical and I think there's a really good place for, monuments and dioramas to history and that is yeah history museums and i think you yeah. know if you had a big battle in your town and you used to have a statue of a guy in your town and that was your leader yeah you guys should have a little museum where if i want to know about that i can go there but it doesn't have to be in the middle of um the people that you enslaved you know, I think taunt, that taunting them daily. Exactly. I think that in my in the room I'm at here at home, I'm in a room that's probably got about uh, a thousand books in it, and the vast majority of those books are on military history because that's an, an interest I've always had, and and so lots and lots of books about the Civil War, obviously. Uh, and so I know that history and I can still read these books. And if I can interest my kids in it, uh, I'll do that. But, you know, when I went to the first time that I visited the U.S. Capitol and I walked into the rotunda in the Hall of Statues, I think they call it. But there are it's cool. All the all the statues of, of various uh, people who would served in Congress uh, over the last 250 years. But I I came across the statue of Robert E. Lee, and I was really struck by that. I thought, why is Robert E. Lee in here? Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you and, know, I wonder if actually there might be some history with with the uh, Mothers of the Confederacy. I think that's the group that 
was really behind. They, yeah, is that the name daughters, of it? Daughters, daughters of, of the, the Confederacy, Confederacy. and and there are several uh, uh, Southern slaveholders and guys that were mm -hmm. uh, the vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Stevens, yeah. who was in Congress with Abe Lincoln. Uh, he's in there, and, that, and a bunch of other guys, and, and some of the guys had awful history, and and uh, was a, of course a slaveholder, and then and left the United States, and arguably was committed treason. So he's yeah. a, arguably a traitor to the United States, and also arguably a pretty damn good general. I just thought, hey man, this is the U.S. Capitol, and Robert E. Lee doesn't belong here. Yeah. Where does Robert E. Lee belong? Well, I don't think he belongs in. He at the state capital in, in Richmond, the, in the either dung heap, dung heap of history, where all, you know, all those where we can read about him and, and you know, yeah. go. They don't go in the capital they tried to destroy. That's just absurd. Yeah, quite so. And and what? But what if he was a nice guy? You know, what if he was a great man? His well, job was murder. All generals' job. <laughs> they have one job: murder. That's it. That's their job. Strategically and with with precision and and understanding and prescience of about where the enemies are going to come from and and you know making sure they have good supply chains and all that. But in the end, there's one job. Yeah, yeah. Well, then the good generals get that job done. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, he, I could appreciate what he did there. He he didn't do so good at Gettysburg, but he did generally well and ultimately was defeated by the the uh economic power and the manpower of the uh of the north uh but same for the same for grant grant was a really effective general but he was also a butcher he was he was just shoveling guys by the thousands to their deaths yeah. because well, he war is ugly i mean yeah man he, he could uh, wear down the other side and he and he did but but uh but i just Having said what I said a few minutes ago, that I don't care so much about the fact that they tore down that statue, I can appreciate that others do. Others think that that's a terrible yeah. thing. Oh yeah, you know, I understand it's, it's it too. Art. It is art. That, you know, kind of. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like, I don't know, when the Taliban started blowing up the Buddhist statues that were, you know, yeah. um, I think it was like a a, a bas relief you know, 30 foot tall bass reliefs in these sandstone walls and they just blew them up. Yeah, because exactly. That's a history they don't like. Yeah, I don't, uh, I, I don't want to blow religion. up history. I, I'm still going to read history. I'm going to read about the, the Nazis and I do that too. And I can respect what uh, Rommel did uh, as a general that is. And, and, uh, and I study Hitler and how he, managed to seize power and hold on to it uh and there's nothing good you can say about it but i want to know I, I do want to know i think it's i think it's relevant i i look at the i have always looked at the nazis and say well this is what happens when, when the right wing uh seizes power and then goes takes it to the ultimate and that's what's uh right we're flirting with that now we're close, and, I think we'll, and it's we'll, really scary. We'll yeah. Do you think it will continue, or do you think we'll have an actual true and fair election? I'm not going to predict a true and fair election. I will say that uh, with 63 million uh, mostly white Americans having voted for Trump and 
consciously voting. And you could say, well, some of them just wanted change and they didn't really know what he was all about or what he was. I'm proposing. surprised how many of them are still on board. There's still and a lot that's of them. the issue. If, if, if Donald Trump was to, was to uh, choke on a chicken bone today, and I don't want him to because I personally, I'd like to see Donald Trump end his life in prison. Uh, long after the presidency, we, but we I don't doubt do I'll that. get. I We've doubt I'll get that. that. I know, I know. Uh, he, there's, there's pardon power, and so that won't happen. So forget about my fantasy that that re, he sees real justice someday, and that would be no. a prison. Somebody should sentence. just but tell him, he, "Hey, you're not going to go to jail. <laughs> just give it up." Because I think that's so the only reason he's say, running right now. He's like, they're going to put me in jail, <laughs> and I, and I. We'll continue to hope that they do. But let's just say there is a free and fair election and uh, and uh, someone else is elected. President gets sworn in next next January 20th. We are still going to have the 63 million uh, around us. And I'm not vilifying those folks. I've got a guy down the down the street about we a block and friends. a half from me. We all have friends in this game. Yeah, he's there. got the Confederate flag and he's... Sometimes he flies the swastika next to the oh, he's that Trump far 2020 gone. flag. Next he to the is, and yeah. Another, yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, so, and this is rural Oregon. Is it just provocative? And, and, oh, I see a lot of it in rural Oregon. Up where the yeah. old Ron Paul stickers are, it's now Trump 2020 and a, every now and then a <laughs> stars and bars. So those folks are still going to be with us. If, if Donald Trump was to disappear and his, his uh, the White House gets fumigated and his family's run out of there and and uh, we have a new administration, and that administration has some decency and some dignity, uh, some some statesmanship, integrity, uh, and some common sense. Yeah. We're still going to deal with the sixty-three million, and, and right. they and are not going me about away. Them, no, what scares me about them is if there are sixty-three million that are now disenfranchised. In other words, their weird idea of what freedom in America is isn't being isn't being uh given to them as pablum they're gonna they're gonna seek another leader and it'll probably be donald trump from a radio station that rush limbaugh died and left behind it will be uh someone else that uh alexander hamilton warned about um in the federalist papers and he just said you know gosh if we if we let the people have the have the uh, plenary power uh, then what's to keep us from getting, you know, a, a somebody who just have, happens to have the, the best sales pitch, but is a but is a person without ability and integrity, and somebody who's capable because human beings are capable, uh, if given political power, of destroying this nation and everything that us founding framers have have uh, worked for and intended. So if we give the people that power, that people can go to the county fair and get snookered into buying that snake oil if if the guy's got nice a nice smile and 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 the best pitch and so we need some sort of protection and of course they came up with the electoral college which really turned around and bit us in the ass recently Mm -hmm. Uh, but but the fact is that that's us and and uh we do get the the government we deserve i take a lot of responsibility personally for uh, the rise of Donald Trump, the fact mm-hmm. that he's in power. What did I fail to do, man? I, I've been, I've tried to be, a, I voted ever since I was 18. I 
try to be a good citizen. I paid my taxes, you know, and um, and obeyed the laws and, you know, haven't been a saint by any means. But what have I done? Well, obviously something is what I failed to do. It's the the sins of omission. So you haven't made friends with enough Nazi sympathizers (laughs) and convinced them to to come along and love others and, and respect differences. You haven't been able to do that. <laughs> I served for two years on a city council, Willamina city council, um, just for a two year term. And, and, uh, it was an appointed term, so I didn't have to run for the office, but I, and I did, I, I did uh, sit on the council with mayor and, and other council members. And some of them had very opposite political views for me but but i we worked together and we said what do we what do we want here what's important is that our our community is safe and clean and there are jobs and people are able to feed their families so the basics in a a town of two thousand people it's a logging community like predominantly big time big time but we had one uh we had various things come up but one that i recall was a guy one of the council fellow council members came up with the idea to make uh, Willamina a uh, make the, an ordinance that uh, you had to show your papers in this town. So it was, it was one of those deals where the uh, county, county sheriffs could, if you had brown skin, they could come up to you and say, show me your identification. Show yeah, me proof that you're, yeah. a, you're a citizen. Well, and that's, he wanted that's the, a relic. Other, that whole area used to be KKK, okay. like from Dallas out. Yeah, but the interesting thing was, we're talking 2007, I think it was. Well, he, and he was a kid of. He was a kid who grew up there. That was part yeah, of his belief system, part of his yeah. understanding. It was part of the culture, and he doesn't even and think he he's thought, being a dick. No, he thought well, that's what we need because we're going to have uh, illegal aliens in this town, and so therefore we are. The police have to have the right to walk up if you see somebody who looks like they may be an illegal alien and ask them. Demand identification, and if they don't produce it, then you can haul them to jail. And he wanted that to be the, the law in this city. And so we, uh, the council, voted on bringing it forward, and uh, with my vote against it. But well, it's a Fourth uh, Amendment violation, votes. first off. And so we had a, a an open meeting, and it was the first time in this tiny little city hall, at least that I experience during my two years there where we had television crews and we had a packed house and i think that i think that we had 36 people signed up to speak uh on the measure because it was public and so we listened to the 36 people 35 of those people stood up to speak in favor of it (laughs) one one lone i don't know it was a man or a woman but one lone citizens stood up and said i don't think this is a very good idea but but the 35 spoke in favor absolutely this is what we need and by god it's about time um and then of course the council members were able to speak and i didn't give a big speech about it they knew where i stood on it but what i said was hey man it's it's going to bankrupt us (laughs) because it's such a clear constitutional violation not that i'm a constitutional law expert or a Supreme Court justice, but seems to me this one's an easy one. This is a no-brainer. Yeah. So shall we do this? And then and and what what's our budget looking like for 
uh, paying for that loss, the, the many lawsuits that are going to happen. And so they voted it down. Um, <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> the one man with so, reason. You know, that's my that's my story, man. My one time in my life, I I had a, a positive effect. So Silverton <laughs> gets on the news because of a transgender mayor. You guys get on the news because of a ballot. Do you just want to pull over brown people? Yep. Wow. Yep. See, I'm I'm blonde, blue eyed yeah. guy. I be right. I'm. Hey, You're isn't that game. convenient? That's it would have been so good convenient. for you. I mean, not I'm, really. I'm so lucky. I've benefited from the simple fact that my I had Norwegian yeah. parents. Yeah, you won. You won the genetic pool. You, these people will be nice to you. Yeah, I know. So they don't have a law yeah. saying their cop can pull you over. Oh my god. Yeah. But yeah, you know what? Know. When you were talking about running earlier, and I was thinking. Well, you're kind of running against Willamina, even though Willamina is just part of the district. You know, you're running against Willamina. The fact that you're from Willamina, everybody knows yeah. that there's that going on there, that that happens and that that has happened in Dallas as well, that there is this kind of undercurrent of the old people who grew up with it and culturally ingrained to such a level of racism that they don't even know they're racist anymore. Cause they really haven't had to confront their racism. They've just been racist. Like they haven't had to deal with people of color really on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah Dallas but, really surprised me during that campaign uh, because um, I, I live on the uh, east side, I guess, the side of Dallas, the end of Willamina that's closest to Dallas. So I always go there. I go there to, grocery shopping for other reasons and so i've i've <coughs> excuse me felt comfortable in that town but when i was running they were very uh unwelcome i was very unwelcome and and we my children and i and then they were quite small i, I think my youngest was just was two and mm-hmm. uh, and the kids and i marched in a local parade and and there were some there were some shouted <laughs> epithets at us uh, yeah. we're walking along with, uh, my name is Kevin Clark Nortness, uh, and the Casey you know was my rock and roll pseudonym, but so we're walking yeah. along with the Kevin, Kevin C. Nortness for Oregon Senate and people were just really not friendly, which surprised me. You know, you see them at, at the, uh, at the Safeway or at the city park. They're just sweet. Just, they're just fellow folks, but, um, and so my opponent, Mr. Boquist, he passed out flyers uh, all over all over town, and the flyers simply read, "Patriots Unite, Boat Boquist." Anyone? So, and so I thought. What does well, that even mean anymore? What the <laughs> fuck is a patriot anymore? I don't even know. Very effective, though. Hey, man, it worked. Oh, it's, why, oh, why it's, couldn't it's, I think of that? So it's a feeling. So it's one of those feeling tap words. It's like patriot. That's what I am. I feel like a patriot. I wave flags. I cook burgers. I say the, I say the anthem and God damn it. I never kneel. I'm a patriot. I like guns, you know, and it, and apple pie and America and God. Yeah, you man. Know? And, and, and it's like, there's this idea that all you have to do is say the word and it taps into it and it gives a good freaking dopamine hit. And all you have to keep doing is saying that and freedom and America and Jesus. And then all of a sudden you've got yourself a campaign. So what's Patriot to you, Gary? What's, what's a Patriot? 
Well, Patriot to me is actually adhering to justice um, and adhering to the founding documents. Okay. And so, I mean, if, if you want to anchor your patriotism, you anchor your patriotism in the things that made America, America. And the, and the idea that brought us together. It's not the newest fad. It's not some clothing you wear. It's not whether you put a flag on your fucking truck. It's about adhering to the rules. And so when you see like the things happening in Portland, and I got to tell you, I love Mark Hatfield and I, I don't care for the desecration of his building. I'm just going to say that straight up front. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do understand the frustration and I do understand that we're not being heard. And then when people are not heard, they scream. We've been doing it since we were babies and it sounds like babies, but guess what? That's what it has to be. It has to be a scream because people are screaming and they are dying and we need to fucking get in the way. We need to fucking disrupt the situation so that they understand that they need to change policy. And those policies need to come back in line with what we have established right to the fourth amendment. I mean, these people get searched and seized, just get out of your car because I'm a cop. And people think that that's what you do and you can do that. And that's fine. But it's become a different system. And, and some people see the aggressiveness of the cops as patriotism, whereas other people see the upholding of the first, fourth, fifth, and 10th amendment. And when you've got internet, uh, you know, states, yeah. states being appended on, when you start seeing those in violation, that is what you got your second amendment for. And then I, I saw none of those motherfuckers that talk about that shit there. And thank God, cause I don't want anybody to get shot, but <laughs> this was what they were talking about. It's, it's the violation of the oaths. It's not what you feel about I think you're quite right. It's it does come down to uh, tribalism to a point that is patriotism does. We uh, we just happen to be born here. Uh, our parents were born. Our parents uh, ha- could have taken us somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. Uh, but patriotism is loving your country. Well, I do love my country. I was, I I've, I'm here, man. I, I've uh, I was born in Eugene and I live in Willamina, you know, an hour, two hours away. Uh, and, and I'm, I've stuck with it. I could have moved elsewhere and I've been elsewhere around the world, but I'm back here. And, and, uh, so of course I love it. And yes, these are my, my family's here. Uh, and I know this country and I was trained on the rituals of this country. I, I was trained to stand for the flag with my hand on my heart and mumbling, the words um, yeah. and, uh, and other other rituals. So I, I know those that. mean things to me, but, but I also understand when a person says, you know what, this has been betraying me. And that's what Colin was saying is this flag has been betraying our people. It's killing our people. It needs to address itself to us. And that's all that's being said there. I think so. Now we can, we can spend, let's just say that you and I are, farmers with our own little plots out uh, out in the boondocks and we what we've got to spend our we only get 70 years or so and we've got to spend that time obviously uh sleeping and eating and and working and feeding our families and the things that are just important and and uh taking care of ourselves and so 
we only have so much time to get, well, we can read books. Uh, we can follow our hobbies and, and, uh, and have some leisure time, but we only have so much time really to dedicate uh, to our, to our country or to our community. But, but we have some time to me, that's patriotism. It's, it's the, it's what you're doing for your country and it. And if all you're doing is voting, well, at least you're doing that, but man, don't, don't fail to do that. Um, to me, patriotism is not a ritual because, because the, the essence of, of Americanism, I like to think, is that we don't have mandated rituals, man. We have them. You know, uh, since I was a yeah. little kid, if I, if I spit on the sidewalk, I have to step on it or something will, bad will happen to my mother. <laughs> step on a crack. Yeah. yeah, we have all of our, we have symbols yeah. and we, we stick to them. And my mother, hey, Casey? mother died years ago, but I still do that. But that's just a ritual. It ain't mandated. That's how I feel. No. <laughs> so um here's how this goes i said we go an hour and if you'd like to go longer we can go longer would you like to go longer casey yeah if you want to talk a little more gary I, i'm enjoying it i think so you're finding you to be very interesting so ladies and gentlemen welcome uh to our second half here pretty soon just come on over and uh you know if you're liking this love like and share you know the deal oh yeah got a new youtube channel you should check it out it's just this but with like um closed caption for people who can't hear and you can't hear this but maybe on that show you will hear this so that's cool youtube for the hearing impaired i have a friend who asks actually said hey how can i hear your show and i was like oh shit you know a little blind spot for me and and so i looked for a solution and we found we got youtube i could put a picture up of the guest or just some advertisement and it does the words while people are talking. It's pretty cool. Excellent. All right. So I'm going to send you another link, Casey. We'll be right back, folks. We're back with Casey Nova here. Um, and he just told me his real name. And I knew he had a real name. I knew it wasn't Casey Nova. But we've been going with Casey Nova because that's his rock and roll name. And uh, we could probably uh, continue with the patriotism question because I don't think you were actually quite finished. Talking about what your idea of patriotism is. I'll, I'll never be finished ever. Yeah, I, I was talking about ritual and we, we can uh, show, we can choose to show our patriotism however we please. So many people believe that you show patriotism by your participation in a ritual. Um, so you stand for the national anthem. I stand for the national anthem. I was, I was taught that as a kid and, and I, put my hand on my heart and I mumble those words and that's how I show that I'm, I'm an American or whatever it is you are because every country's got their own national anthem and everyone loves their, their home country and their home flag. Uh, to, for me, the, the issue is that, that we are not required to perform rituals and thank God for that. We don't have national oaths that we must mutter. Um, that's first amendment. And the fact it? is, yeah, and the fact is that why in hell, I've always asked myself, why in hell, if you are, are performing such a ritual in a crowd, whether it's a small crowd or a huge crowd, why are you paying attention to whether others are? And that includes the players on the field. The, the uh, national anthem is playing and you're looking at your flag and you're, in, and you're doing your thing uh, that you feel in your heart to do but you're looking at the players on the field that's that 
guy is not doing it or he's kneeling or somebody next to you is in conversation or on their cell phone or eating popcorn, mm-hmm. uh, why would you, why would you <laughs> concern yourself with that and, and be the judge of, of how someone else uh, expresses their patriotism? True for me, even though I well, do patriotism feel, should be a personal thing. Per, absolutely personal. I've right? always right? had a problem with mandated patriotism. I mean, when you're in the Marines, I was in the Marines, and when you're in, it's all mandated, and that's fine, and because you're part of the game, you're part of the the whole thing, you know. But yeah. as as a liberated citizen, you know. I can pledge allegiance to you as much as I want or as little as I want. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to question, uh, not only am I not going to question whether you're doing the ritual that I do or that I, I want you to do, but, or, or, but whether you're doing it or not, that's just, that's not what it's about. It's, it's the way I feel. And I like, I like to gather with like-minded people who doesn't hell I gather on Facebook with, like-minded people i also try to engage with people who disagree with me and mm-hmm. try to be as reasonable as i can and simply state my opinion uh you know there are times when you express an opinion on social media and you'll get back a one-word ans- answer and that is moron or idiot or mm-hmm. or asshole mm-hmm. um, and then sometimes you get people who actually will make their argument you know and, I, and yeah so that's I, appreciated you know, I have I have friends who think differently than me and and, you know, they're respectful. They're typically curious about my idea. And, you know, it may be just so that they can figure out how to retort or whatever. But, you know, at least they're inquisitive and not like they never go ad hominem. You know, yeah. they're never like, you're an idiot. You're dumb. You know, that's just like you might as well just say I lose. You know, <laughs> As soon as you like call somebody a name, you might as well just say, well, I lose. You're too tough for me. Your brain thinks too hard and you make me feel stupid. So you're dumb. It's a projection. If yeah. Anything. Yeah. You know, it, uh, social media is to me what, what the neighborhood bar used to be. You know, you can go into the neighborhood bar and you might uh, have a beer and tell the bartender that your wife doesn't understand you or just sit in the corner and nurse your drink. Mm-hmm. Or you might get into a, a conversation, you know, and might be a political conversation. And then you'll, mm-hmm. because random people go into bars, you can, you can find one person from the the left and one person from the right. And, and, you know, you might get, you might cuss a bit and voices might get raised, but at least you're both expressing your, your opinions and also trying to posit arguments that are, that are convincing. Yeah. And social media, I like so, social media because we're not, can't go to the bars right now yeah and uh but to the to the point where it's just like this is how i feel and uh you know well, somebody, as soon as somebody feels off. a certain way you're, you're really not going to take them anywhere it's yeah. deeper feelings are deeper than thought they they hold into us stronger they have an emotional <laughs> connection to thought uh, you remind me that I saw a truck go by my house a couple of hours ago that said, uh, well, there was a, a Confederate flag flying from it, and the other flag was Trump 2020, fuck your feelings. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a popular 
becoming more and more popular flag. Um, well, it's, yeah, I, it's part of, that's always been part of, that's, I think their big joy. Their big joy is to, he fucks the liberals up and that's their one policy perspective that in second amendment and judges for the yeah. anti-abortion people. There's like three points, but the number one yeah, is so, hating the libs, so you, owning the libs. And I thought to myself, well, okay, that's, I got it. So it's, uh, <laughs> is that a geopolitical statement? Is it socioeconomic? What, it, what does that statement mean? Well, it means nothing but that, that his feelings are to uh, disregard my feelings. But, but I thought, well, is that all that they're saying? What are they really saying? And I tried to uh, find out who originated the flag. I didn't find out, and I don't, guess no. I don't really care. I don't if think somebody... that. I, I, think, I think it says it. <laughs> I think it says what it means and means what it says. Fuck your feelings. And, you know, I don't know if you've been around job sites and, you know, getting shit done and, you know, that kind of macho, you know, fuck your feelings, yeah. get her dead, boy. You know, dig that motherfucker. Oh, man, absolutely. You know, and I, I work in so sawmills, factories. Yeah. Yeah. So there is that mentality. And, and it's really great when you're getting shit done. It really is, you know, just some ball busting, you know, calling each other little pussies and stuff like that until you, you're all worked to death. It, it works. It's, I don't know what it is about boys and men and the hazing, but it seems to be a thing. I understand. I understand. We, we, uh, we're macho dudes and, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're Clint Eastwood, you know, uh, we just, we just gun them down and, yes. and, uh, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to talk about it. No, I'm not sure that's what it is. I'll tell you what, uh, in trying to find out who originated the flag. And again, I just couldn't find, so I forget about it. I don't really care, but I did come across a forum, uh, regarding the flag and it was people who were, championing that particular banner we'll call uh -huh. it fuck your feelings and, and one woman uh wrote on there her name was marion and i don't know whether she was young or old or black or white but she wrote that uh the what that banner means to her she wrote that the the left uh considers feelings as being more important than facts and she said that uh president trump only states facts and he and only tells the truth it's interesting and trump doesn't care about feelings mm -hmm. and uh, and neither do does marion or any of the other people that support trump if trump she didn't said that care feelings, about feelings every <laughs> phrase he ever uttered would not have an adjective <laughs> and hyperbole well he constantly is whining about his feelings he's constantly whining about how he's treated poorly uh, and blah, not, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And this woman actually wrote, and I made it up, but she wrote that uh, as a, an example, she said, let's say you have two women and one of those women gets raped by a man mm -hmm. and the other gets sexually rejected by a man. And then she said, the truth is in this woman's opinion, the woman who got sexually rejected is probably far more hurt than the woman who got raped. And she said, but neither of their feelings matter. And then she went on to write that, you know, you're all butthurt because some guy who was resisting arrest was died 
in custody in Minneapolis where a woman was shot to death. Dude, somebody should have raped that girl. She needed to get raped is what it sounds like. I don't know what to say about Jesus. her. You know? Yeah, she it said, sounds like what, what she's saying. She's like, I just need to get raped. You know, uh, the and then just, just that's how she summed it up. I think she finally said, your feelings don't matter. And that's why I proudly fly that uh, fuck your feelings flag. So she's really trying to whoever she is and wherever she is. Maybe she got raped. Maybe she's a victim. Maybe she's just sad and angry. You know, you never know where people are coming from. So fuck your feelings might be a way for people to just take care of themselves. Like, fuck your feelings, put them down. Just keep on keeping on. You know, maybe I think she's articulating her damage, but I, uh, not being a a psychologist, I don't know. And I don't know her, but she, I think most psychologists say we always articulate our damage. There you go then. So I'm I'm correct. By God, finally once in my life. But but the, it was just remarkable to read that. But I if you if you go on uh, and you do go on YouTube and if you see Emma Vigeland or Vigeland and she's uh, got a rebel rebel HQ is her mm. uh, site and and she goes to Trump rallies with her microphone and. Mm-hmm. She's like a, she's a, not she's not confrontational. She goes and she interviews him. She'll ask him a question and they'll give her the answers and the and their answers are. And what's her approach? Well, just neutral. Oh, she's very. Uh, she's a Sanders supporter, and mm-hmm. and she's very. In, I think she's very intelligent, and uh, she walks up and asks them questions about uh, Trump's uh, opinions and policies and how they feel about it, and they're. And at least from where I stand, my sensibilities, they're damn near unbelievable what they're saying. But then again, as you and I were talking about the 63 million. It is and it uh, isn't. They're coming at it from fuck your feelings. So fuck your feelings. Let's just say we start there. Let's just say we start there because I have really. (sighs) Trump supporters, especially the ones I love and, and appreciate and think are intelligent baffle the fuck out of me. So I've been I have trying to find and, and family. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I've been trying to find a way to reconcile that. Like, how can you not see it? You know, have you ever seen the movie, a man in full Andy Griffith and it's directed by Elia Kazan. Oh, that's uh, from the fifties where he, yes, he's a radio yeah, he's a like a he's a radio DJ country singer who then runs for office yeah. with it. He's a guitar playing, sweet talking man, and he just <laughs> gets her done, and he don't give a shit about nothing but himself, and he gets it the motherfucker done. Yeah, that's a fantastic movie. It's a fantastic movie. Elia Kazan, I really hate the whole black ball thing that happened in 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 the red scare because Elia Kazan was the best director ever in terms of taking people from Stanislavski into film you got it you got it and and he was uh good friends to Marilyn Monroe and also a mentor to her but who did he turn in? I mean, he turned in, he had to turn in like three, I think. And then he was just fucking done. The system yeah. was like, yeah. Oh, but he was on like, uh, he, his visa was still not right. You know, he was just like, fuck, you got my visa. I think they were a little <laughs> harsh to him. 
He was brilliant. I think he scared a lot of other directors. Like, yeah, you should fuck him over. He's bad. Well, those those all the people that promulgated the Red Scare are still with us. At least their uh, their their progeny is with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and those uh, people still and again, exist. They're gonna. They're, they're gonna be Bright, with us. I think Breitbart's. I think Breitbart's part of that whole contingency. It's just a. It's a. It continues. Like you never. You cut off the head of the snake, but it's a head of. But it's it's what was it was that Medusa with all the head with all the snakes, you just cut off one. There's another one. Medusa. It makes ten more. Which one is that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm. I, I let's just try not to divide ourselves. We are already divided. See, and and I don't know whether the simple answer is well. Let's find common ground. I mean, we could all. I don't sit, think common ground know. is where we need to go. I think we need to go to a new place. I think we need a new vision. I think we need a, a way for everybody to just kind of go, okay, yeah, that makes the most sense of everything that we're thinking about doing right now. That makes the most sense of everything. And it makes everything work better. And I think that plan exists outside of capitalism and yet inside of capitalism. I think it's a combined planning between states, nations, and corporations, wherein I think so, too. and and people, I, especially people like livability, needs to be a high marker on all those planes. Because if livability does not improve, we are going to continue to have disorder. People are going to continue to be desperate, therefore doing desperate things, therefore getting shot by police for it. Um, people are going to continue to be hungry. People are going to continue to be sick. And if we can't take care of just basic order of community, order of community, and that's the, the idea of love and compassion in community as opposed to order because it's so fucked up that you have to fucking whip it back. Thank you. We ask ourselves periodically, how did we get where we are? And um, we could look at uh, Denmark for just an example. How did Denmark get where they are? They are, um, they're a socialist nation for sure. Uh, and they are, are a nation that was uh, invaded and quickly uh, defeated, quickly uh, capitulated in 1940, I believe. Uh, and then they were occupied throughout the war. They also, uh, the Danish people also had an active resistance to the occupying Nazis, and they also were uh, were hiding uh, Jewish people and getting them out of there. And then the war ends, and of course uh, they weren't uh, they had been occupied, but and there had been bloodshed, and and they blew up some <laughs> plants that and other and other uh, facilities owned by the the Germans, but but they really hadn't been flattened with bombs or anything else and they hadn't had the the war rage across Denmark but they had experienced it and had been occupied and so after the war they instituted the government which really uh, remains today so how did the, the Danish people get to the point where and I'm not just talking about whether they socialism uh, or not but how did they get to the point where community means so much to them and, and children mean so much to them, and education means so much to them, and civil justice 
mean so much to them? Well, there's answers to that, and it's, and it's in their history, going back a lot further than World War II, but I think that that played a, a large part. They weren't, they weren't always then, that way. I mean, the Danish were usurpers, no. right? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Absolutely. They were, I mean, they were South Africa. You know, they were. They, they've got absolutely. They There's the much dark, more to it. The dark usurping Christians, and then at some point they kind of went back to themselves. They kind of. How long ago did they let go of South Africa? It wasn't that long ago. I don't know. Early uh, after World War One, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. But then it was still kind of, they had set up a government and it had stayed. And and so like the people who were left behind had no representation from the Dutch in South Africa, all the Afrikaners, the whites. Right. There's much to admire now. I mean, both read an essay about there's much to admire now. Well, the fact is that they've created a better society, even after having dark history. And how? And and how did they do? Well, right. they, they so did what are that the methods the and people, policies put in place that made that happen? Yeah, and they had right wing politicians, and they still do. They and those right wing politicians were advocating for just the, just the opposite, um, and yet the that thinking and sensibility and that core decency prevailed. And so yeah, so that's we we could talk for hours and figure so out. So do how they have? So you were talking about a citizens. Um, responsibility to give to community earlier. So do they have that type of policy in place? Do they have a policy like ours where they have just like huge elections and it's a big popularity contest and everybody throws out fucking beanie babies? I mean, what is it? (laughs) Yeah, I think that, uh, and I got a book in one of my shelves. It's it's a, it's a book about, Uh, I might be asking you outside of your studying, but so uh, yeah, let's let's get back to the Dutch and figure out what the fuck they've done to kind of create a happier community. I've had friends who've gone over there and um, Belgium also, and it's the same thing, right? Belgium, Dutch, is it very similar? What what happens there? Yeah, and I was talking about the Danes and Denmark and and Denmark, uh, and, Denmark and Belgium are like sister countries. Is that correct? Denmark is one of the Scandinavian countries along Denmark. the Denmark. Oh, and, dude, uh, I'm in the way. wrong fucking quadrant. And, Next, and, go up. Okay, yeah, it's, it's like, these Nordic you countries. You ain't that far away. No, I was a long ways away. I was in the wrong. But place. I, I was but in but I say that we let's just let's just take say for sake of argument that the the Danes are doing pretty well, and yeah, uh, the people they are. there seem to be happy. They seem to be such happy people, and they're well educated and. And they have uh, so. Employment. Oh my God! You were talking about the Danish this whole time, and I was conflating it with South Africa yeah. and the Dutch. And that's that's all right. And that's all right. See, that's miscommunication. Uh, because... See, this is one of my problems, folks. I got to work on this. It's Garland Pepper. He's trying to get better. <laughs> and my point is that we could look at us, and we should should because that's where we're at, man. And the the question is, how did we get here? And I don't means simply how did we wind up with a with the, the trump in the white house or the or mcconnell running the senate or a five to four uh uh supreme court of corporate lawyers um how did we get so that every town in america has now the exact same corporate stores only and everything else is dying that's a good question and we we can answer that question and it's relevant and it's relevant. And and we can say, well, that's fine. I like that. 
I like that, man. I, I know where I'm going. going. I'm going to TJ Maxx, man. Yeah. I like yeah. it. They, it seems the to work. I mean, the store is gone, and we're going to uh, uh, Dollar General or whatever. Right. You These know, kids will never know, like, going to a hardware store with a screw that was pitched by some guy in his garage 20 years ago that only fits the 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 tap that he had tapped into this thing that's on this bench and you go to your your hardware man and he goes and he looks at it and he goes oh yeah i remember that tap and he goes down in his basement and you go with him and he's like 90 years old and he puts it into his little thing and he taps it and he, and he makes another screw out of a screw he brought from upstairs and it's a screw that fits and yeah and and that was old Ernie Western Auto here in Silverton, Oregon, folks. Just shout out to Ernie. I don't know if he's still going or not, man, but he's a goer. I had a Western Auto in my hometown. I, th I think that we could talk about what's what's uh, what has worked and what hasn't. And we could and I, one of us at least could make the argument that, well, that's that's great, man. You just have to you just have to drive to Walmart and all park in that big parking lot and go in there and. And buy from Walton. Yeah, but but those are those are imported goods, and the the Walton family are billionaires, and and it's it's just making us a consumer society. We, uh, that's all we are. That's right. The, that's and, it, the, and it's a funnel. It's a funnel type of capitalism. It's a capitalism that puts a funnel in a community and just sucks it out and takes it to a holding company called Walmart. And Walmart's not just Walmart. They've been Walmart for a long time, and that's how they've expanded. And they're staying Walmart in a lot of ways. But I imagine they've expanded their capital gains throughout the world and are owning a lot of other things. So things you don't think are Walmart are now Walmart for sure. And one of us can make the opposite argument and, and say, uh, you know, no, this is this is not working out. This is really not where we want to go. This is not where we want to be 20 years from now. And I, as I said, my youngest child is 14. And, and, uh, and so let's just say I'm not around in 10 years. Uh, I care about, she's going to then be an adult. And I care about what her country and society looks like. We all and, do. And I, if possible, I'd like to look back on me, me and think, you know, he, uh, <laughs> man, he screwed things up. Uh, and I think that at this point she's look, looking through the eyes of a 14 year old and she's thinking you have really screwed things up. How, how things get so bad, dad. Um, and I say, and I could, then I could say, well, daughter, let's talk about the good things about America. Um, and I, and I could do that too, but we still got, you know, <laughs> even in your own life, you know, you get, you have some health problem. You could, really address that damned health problem and see if you can fix that or say, well, no, let's just talk about what's right, what's working. Um, so I, that's, to me, it's just a, a pragmatic approach uh, to our our communities. And what's, what are we doing that ain't working right? Now we're doing a lot of things that are not working. I live right. in a community that works pretty damn well. And I think it goes back to the same thing that we talked about earlier, which is, um, community giving back. So for years I gave back to the community and then I got burned out and I haven't gone back for a long time, but I'm a member of the community and I'm at present in the community. And I think 
that's that's my gift at this point you know as an old as an old has been um i used to run the homer davenport days festival for several years oh yeah yeah i ran that i was president for two years vice president for two years before that and then picked up shit as as ex-presidents do behind horses every parade um i think for the next five years so i've you know barbecued at least seven or eight of those years. So I gave a lot of years to the community and it really has just paid off in spades in just terms of meeting the most wonderful people and having relationships with those people for years and years and years. Like my, my buddy, Adam Tappan, he was a little kid, his dad, he got in trouble and his dad says, and I was talking to his dad and his dad's like, Oh, you need some help. And I'm like, yeah, I need some help. He's like, yeah, I got a boy. And he he sends his son down like (laughs) eight o'clock in the fucking morning on a Saturday. And we start burning uh, briquettes. And this kid works like he, he just works. He works. He's a good kid. And his dad, his dad's a good dad brought up a good kid. And I'm just like, holy shit this is a good kid and we just have the best time man we work really hard all day like pouring briquettes and loading up trays of chicken and turning them and and uh this kid's just with me the whole time you know and uh yeah yeah randy you know, Mar- uh, uh, randy marson sent know, his boy down too i think i think he might have been sent down by the police i'm not sure one of them, well, yeah, I think it was Randy, might have been sent. We got a couple kids sent down by the police because, you know, they had some community service to do. So um, we, we had a, you know, at the barbecue pit, we had some kids that, and it was fun. Those are good kids, you know, they're just they're screwed up sometimes. Do you know Elise Tyler? Uh, yeah. She's yeah. a Silverton musician. Yeah. She, she played out there. I've seen her play in, in Salem at the uh, at the Space uh, Club, and I've talked with her. And I've been out, been out to her house once in Silverton back before the, uh, the pandemic. She's mm-hmm. a super talented local artist. So we wandered around Silverton that day. Oh yeah, she's really sweet. And she played at my party. Like uh, she had another gig, so she played really early. But it was awesome because we're like putting the party together and just have really live music happening while you're putting stuff together. You just like work and then you stop and look for a few minutes and then you like get back to work and, and you'd hear it the whole time. And it was just lovely. She's just they do a good job. Her and Ben were having fun, man. Yep. Mm-hmm. And she's really serious into it. I, I like it. I like that she's going for it. Like everybody should go for it. You know, I think that's the key. Yeah, we We've got uh, two albums to release that have already been recorded, so we're... What's your band to... right these days, you said? Uh, what was that band? Things are affected by that. Oh, M69s. You know, I... Yeah, M69 since uh, 2014, uh, doing all original music, rock music, and we've uh, got three albums out, and um, then I've got a, a band called Pepperbox that is also original music and and that's got uh, two different players and they and that band played its first gig on March 6th and then the the uh, the state closed down the next week so it was our our debut gig and we've got a album recorded to drop but <coughs> it, uh, we're gonna wait till things open back up so we can go out and play and promote and hopefully take that that band to uh, Europe which is part of the plan and I finally got another band called Lords of Blackwell that 
uh, Blackpool, <laughs> Blackpool, Lords of Blackpool, that uh, is got uh, Jared Venti on bass, and where have you and guys we played? have done. The, have we've play, done have a bunch of gigs. Space? Have you played? We played uh, the space, um, just about every place, and and we played. Well, we put that band together because even though we're all songwriters and we play original music in our other bands, we thought let's let's do some covers together. So we we came up with uh, obscure Beatles songs and obscure Who, Kinks, Badfinger, and uh, we had a blast doing that those tunes and. So then this last month, we said, let's do a Lords of Blackpool album. So we're going to write songs. They're going to be original songs, but they're probably going to be in a, in a style of, say, the late, late 60s British rock. Mm-hmm. So we have fun. That sounds wonderful. Lords of, I think I might have seen you. That's why I was asking. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, played Venti's, uh, played the space. Who have you um, opened up for? Or who have you closed up? For? Well, we've played with we've played with uh, songs for Alice, um, City of Pieces. Oh, City of Pieces. Uh, My brother's yeah. in City of Pieces. Who's your brother? David Fox. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I just said I just said that to to a friend uh, today that. Uh, that, I bet you're David's brother. Yeah. I yeah, go, yeah. I go. David. I go. I, I go eat David's food all the time, man. Not, Doesn't he make? <laughs> yeah. So do I. So my daughter was working for him for a little while. Now, now his daughter's working there, but uh, so he's got different employment. Um, but um, oh man, we've played at uh, Music Millennium in Portland together, and uh, and a lot of gigs around Salem, including Brownstown Lounge when they had live music every place that we could play you know i think always, i may uh, have seen you guys you know i don't get out to salem much because you know when i go out and hear music i like to have a couple beers and so really i just have to leave it at one beer when i'm in salem just because i there's too much too much between silverton and salem if you're downtown <laughs> you know what i mean well you might have you might have seen uh, m69s i think i i think uh, i've seen you guys yeah to this just a three piece i'm on bass and vocals and guitar mm-hmm. and the guitarist and drummer the guitarist and drummer are real handsome guys and i'm a real ugly guy and uh and we have a blast every time we play i've seen your picture unless that's yeah, one from time. 40 years ago you're look you're a good looking man <laughs> yeah we'll get back on stage here soon i think we all are dying to do it well yeah you should we're doing virtual gigs yeah, so a lot of people are trying and trying really hard to do virtual gigs, and I think some are having some effect. Um, but the ways in which they get money is different. Um, I've been thinking about starting some sort of monetizing of my situation, and I'm not sure how to do it exactly. It has some sort of a local radio appeal because, like, most of my friends are local. And, of course, every time yeah. I talk to somebody, I get – 20 of their friends, possibly 40, maybe 80 of their friends to listen, you know, and of those friends, maybe I get a few that are like podcast listener types and will actually listen more. You know what I mean? So I'm just building that. Absolutely. Way. That's how I'm And now that, that I know about the, the girl and pepper show, I'll, I'll listen to it. I love podcasts. Oh, I think you'll know several people that are already on it. Uh, you know, Karen, 
Um, Doug and I tried. Yeah. Doug and I tried last night. Um, We had challenges with the audio. That's why I was like explicit. Don't sign up. (laughs) Don't sign up for (laughs) anchor, Um, which sucks because I want to promote it because it's actually doing me a great benefit as a hosting uh, platform. And I wish that people could listen to it like they listen to Spotify. I wish that they could. And, but actually, I think it's, spotter, it's sponsored by Spotify. I think it's a Spotify product. Um, and my stuff looks best on Spotify and probably sounds best on Spotify. Monetize. Do it. Uh, that's what I've got to do every day. Well, I'm, <laughs> monetizing it it, I'm monetizing it in the old-fashioned way, which is you know, um, what they call parts per million, basically parts per thousand um and it's not very much it doesn't monetize me in a way that i can actually effectively do this and so i need to scale up somehow and i don't know how to scale up you know i Hmm. i apparently i twitter bombed yesterday like a lot of people and um and (laughs) some guy's like hey why is garland pepper like spamming me I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't think anybody, anybody on Twitter even saw this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, because and, it's true. I've been out there forever. Never get a retweet. Never get nothing like that. But the d- guy did give me some advice. It really is about engaging, and it's not about advertising your shit. I think they know who I am now. I've, I've established that. If you look at my profile, you're going to find out that there's a fucking show behind my name. So... Now I've got to take on another task, which I really don't want to do, which is create new connections in another social media environment. <sighs> hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Because I do without because my show is this way. My show is about real connection. So it's got to have that. Like, so anybody that I bring to my show really needs to understand what I do. Tell me about when, if you don't mind, when did you serve in the Marines and what did you do? So I served from 82 to 86. Um, yeah. Served as a radio tech, fixing radios, and also doing like uh, deployment of, of radio systems, like up on the hill, up over middle of nowhere, putting up antennas and checking out my systems and AM, FM, listening to signals transferring those <laughs> transferring that information communications 20 so picked up some skills skills and interest but uh, well that you've that stuck yeah. with you what electronics sure yeah. yeah i mean to a degree i mean everything everything's been beneficial in terms of <clears throat> understanding life and and physics is one of those things that anytime you get in, in involved in in understanding the physical universe, you have a better understanding of the constraints that you're up against in designing any type of structure, whether it be societal or a building. Right. So you, you, um, do you have to get more equipment? You you think is is that part of the issue for me? Yes. Yeah. Every, Every part of my life, right now i was just making this list today which is interesting so every part of my life is is unfinished i have what they call what i don't know what they call it that but there are certain types of people who 
go big and then get almost there and then lose all their juice. And that's, that's me in a nutshell. And it sucks because I've got, I'm like inches away, not inches. I'm miles, I'm miles and miles away from a really cogent, well put together situation, but it wears me out just thinking about it. And and I'm looking at all the, all the work and I just started writing lists and I think that'll be helpful. We'll follow through brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even, if, even if you're miles and not just inches, you'll find out differently. Well, it's, it's all in the startup and some of these things, it's like, well, I'm still resources away. And it's like, well, should I just get the resources? Like, well, the resources like here and there and blah, blah, blah. And I, I talk myself into different ways of doing other work. And, and I don't know how to put a fence in level, especially a fence like this. It's a concrete bounded fence, on, you know, good footings and, 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 and metal, you know, like right. the whole thing is like held together with, with steel and it's got to be perfect, you know, like perfect and perfect is not what I'm good at. <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you fly by the seat of your pants a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess guys get stuff done. The seat of the pants guys. Sure. Oh yeah, no, that's the guys I need actually, and they're not afraid, and they know how to adjust, and that would be nice. I think I just need a laser. Um, I need to figure out my distances, start digging the holes, and then get a laser and make sure I'm right, and probably have to dig more holes. <laughs> See, that's the thing is, I need a laser first, and then it's all the it's all the sequencing of it that's challenging for me. Like, what do I need first? And then, and then, and then. So I just need to write it down. Well, we'll have to get together sometime in Salem. Mm-hmm. Well, let me know when you guys are playing, if the world gets to be playing again. Um, the, world, you know, I've always... the world will. We got to get through 2020 because we're not writing it off, but we're just doing other stuff until. Well, you know. Normalized. The Sting didn't do an album for a year. Or Sting, the, uh, the Police didn't do an album for a year until Synchronicity came out. They had been putting out albums, and they were really pop hits uh, around Europe, and they had made a hit in England, in America, all of a sudden, and they stopped for a year, which was unheard of back then. You know, you had to do boom, 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 right? And uh, yeah. and so they did Synchronicity, and. Sting wrote all the stuff and he, him, actually him and Copeland wrote all the stuff and neither of them listened to any other music for the rest of the year. No other music. They just wanted to play with their own sound. Well, then they became uh, MTV darlings. And they had, well, uh, Synchronicity is a f- amazing fucking album and some of the best film work ever. I saw them at the uh, Paramount in Portland, which is now the Schnitzer, uh, mm-hmm. in 79. It was a great show. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were uh, raw, hungry kids. Mm-hmm. I remember really identifying with the police because 
Rock was kind of, I don't know, went to REO Speedwagon and then things just kind of melted for a while. It was just all, you know, afternoon delight and shit. You know what I mean? And Elton John, which was awesome. But I don't know. When when the police hit and the cars hit, it was like the the bands. <laughs> the bands that started with the, I was into them. Yeah, I, I hated music. Um, <laughs> you did. I've written, uh, I've maybe written a thousand songs and I've been, and I still write songs and I have, you know, all those years of full-time touring behind me and stretching back to age 13. This has been my passion, but, but I, there's so much that I just couldn't stand. I mean, even today, and I fault myself for it because I, even today, if I hear <laughs> hit hit radio or I'm in grocery stores and I hear 90% of what I hear I just I hate I don't know what that is and the people who I just love everything and I look up to those oh, people but no, that's not I, me. I get I get tired of music <laughs> that's why I fell in love with podcasts well I've always been into dialogue over radio if I'm driving it just feels like somebody else is in the car if I'm driving by myself it's like hey I there's my the buddy same. Hey, and if you're driving out there right now, folks, Garland Pepper says, hey, buddy. All right. That's for y'all driving. Yeah. Keep your eyes on the road and your hands upon the wheel. Yeah, so that's so the I thing about. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I discovered, discovered the Sex Pistols and the Clash and, uh, yeah. and the Ramones. So to me, punk rock was salvation because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't bear the music that was big and i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna denigrate any anyone's favorite see i went to new wave and punk i really detested hairband metal and i have a lot of friends who are like way into it and i'm just like why and and i don't know it's just like i think it's it's the kiss transition you know it's like well what if kiss just like went and became poison you know, I don't know. It just <laughs> Def Leppard. I don't know. So that stuff really turned me off, but I really liked New Wave and I liked punk. Well, it was funny how I looked at uh, I looked at hair bands, the guys with the spandex and the, the hair. I didn't mind that. And, and they always seemed to have the really nice babes. I remember that. Thinking, they did. Yeah, yeah. They had Look the hot the girls. girls you guys have got. <laughs> they did I admit to that, but I, but I was a, a poor boy and I played in the city and I played punk and new wave and we, and we had crappy old instruments that we had to beg, borrow and steal. The thing about the, the hair bands, I thought they always had the great equipment and they had nice cars and they had nice clothes. And, and so I held that against them. So it was, see, I, was, I, I don't know what you're, so going, you're all going to think about me, but I was a prog rock guy. I really love Yes. I love Rush. You know, I love um, the Zeppelin albums that have themes. I fucking love sure. that shit, man. Um, it, it was said, and, 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 the, and the Sgt. Pepper is a theme. And if you can find a theme on the White Album, you're the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Help the skeleton. But. <laughs> You know, 
that's what I liked. I really liked that. And then when it just became, I felt like it was like, oh, God, I got to go to assembly. Because like when Def Leppard plays, it feels like assembly music to me. I always called that kind of stuff, like Def Leppard especially, cheerleader music. I want to rock, rock. You know, it's just like, oh, my God, it's (laughs) cheerleader music. Well, I I thought they were rich kids. Disparage cheerleaders (laughs) who it's a it's a hard job. And my friend, you know, Brett, that's smart. He's he he was a cheerleader. Yeah, badass cheerleader, (laughs) six three, two hundred and sixty pounds of pure muscle, throwing them girls up in the air. (laughs) Went to state, New Jersey. Oh yeah. Yeah, so everybody likes different stuff. I just, I don't know. I'm just way too. You like got to. You like boxing hard. You did like boxing at one uh-huh. point. I liked boxing because, uh, because I was good, and I and yeah. I was just talking with a friend, who, uh, <laughs> she doesn't like the fact that I box, and she refuses to come see me box. Oh, and yeah. I, I've had I've had three fights since last November. Mm. Um, you need to not I, do that. No, no, no. You, I, you, yeah. you sound like a very, very smart man. I would hate to lose that. <laughs> yeah. So my friend uh, is. I said, "Would you come on? We, I can have one friend." Do you wear, do you wear headgear and you're you've always like your dad taught you to dodge. You're a dodger. Yeah, yeah. But I but uh, she she says I shouldn't. I shouldn't fight. And, and I think she's quite right, mm-hmm. but I do. And she said, it's just your ego. And I said, it probably is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do it. Well, you keep I saying it well. it, it, you feel good doing this. What else do you feel good doing though? I mean, you can, can you replace it in a, in a physical sense? I think that's the challenge. Is this something you physically do well? Playing, playing rock and roll on stage or mm-hmm. writing songs or being in the studio recording, but yeah. I, those but are, my life is really filled with my kids because I'm a I've been a single dad with five kids for twelve years now. Single so dad I, with five kids. Now, do you have shared custody? How's that work? No, uh, no. They they uh, their mother lives in Spokane, and she has four younger kids since the divorce, including a, a new brand new baby. Mm-hmm. And we're very good cooperative. And, uh, co-parents and good friends but the kids the kids all live with me and uh they never go they, there they're there right now that's why i'm i'm a bachelor <laughs> for two weeks they're up in spokane so i'm able to uh so walk around the house and she you guys just want. agreed to two different lives and your kids are kind of part of her life do they miss her they absolutely do they uh, they lived with her uh from the divorce um in 2007, they lived with her until 2018. So I was by myself for however long that is, um, 11 years. And then she gave them the option. Uh, oh. Previous to that, she hadn't given them the option. And so I, I simply had them uh, summers and, you know, as a divorced father does every, every other weekend and, and summers. But she gave them the option and they opted to come live with dad. So and they do now, and and they all have the freedom if they want to to move back with mom. But they they're sticking with me, and uh, and how old are they now? And so 
Uh, the oldest just turned 21, and I have two 19-year-old sons, and a 17-year-old son, and a 14-year-old daughter. And they're, uh, the two youngest are still in high school. And the three oldest, of course, are trying to figure out what they want to do, what, what they want to study, and mm-hmm. what they want to be. But uh, yeah. So I've been... Where, where are they showing their talents? Well, the, the uh, oldest... And she's 21, and she's a very talented uh, musician, like her brother, who's 17. And and the two twins are uh, really muscled guys. They're yeah. very athletic guys, even though they don't do sports. But they're they don't do sports. They're just pure muscle. What's up with that? Yeah, they don't. You know, they were but homeschooled kids. Their mother, oh, their mom homeschooled them, mm-hmm. and um, that was her choice. And so, how and did so they build they, their muscle? Do they play a lot? Do they get to work around property I, or something? I think they do, and they they just work out at home. But they they're guys that are just remarkable in their their build, you know, their physical build. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, do they I show think. interests outside of that, like in other aspects? Of- I think one of the twins wants to be. He said he wants to own his own business someday. Just have, whether it's a a little cafe, as long as it's his business and he doesn't have a boss, and yeah. and the other. Twin uh, is interested in uh, in beat music, writing his own beats, and yeah. And then the fourteen year old girl, she's fourteen, hasn't figured it out. But my life is busy because for you said you have uh, a seventeen in there too. Yep, and a seventeen year old boy. So I cook and I clean and I entertain and take care of these kids and I work full time as a uh, litigation consultant to uh, to support them. Now, that's my life. And that keeps I you busy, the lit- litigation consultancy. That keeps you fully employed. It sure does. Yeah. Wow. Fully employed. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm constantly, I get, I start getting client calls at about 6.30 in the morning and work off until midnight. So I, I take care of the kids in between <laughs> client calls and, and, uh, and hearings. Yeah. And since the pandemic, it's, everything's been on Zoom. So I do a lot of those. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting way to communicate. As a matter of fact, tomorrow morning I have an interview to for a job that pays a lot less than I had before at the same place, which is interesting. But you know, desperate times. It, it yeah, you go you go for what you have to go for. Um, same here. I take cases that that I wouldn't normally take. I I got a new case yesterday that that. Uh, uh, is a city. I'll just keep all of the facts <laughs> vague, but it's a it's a city that's suing a family, and the family lives on a property, and have that property has been handed down generation after generation, and the kids live there now. But there's a lot of criminal activity and alleged drug use, and you know if they find a body, some heroin OD in the barn oh, and there's, there's uh, junk cars everywhere. So it's mm-hmm. a hell of a deal where the city's thinking we, we, these people are just out of control. So the city's suing them. And if the city can succeed in this lawsuit, that they could take this uh, property away from them. Domain. And so the, you got it, man. And various other ways that they can do it because they have ignored all of the uh, citations and, Sure. That they've been They're high. Anyway, they don't they, give a shit. That's eh, a city. <laughs> fuck them. Yeah. And so they came to me and said, "You know, can you can you defend this and this thing?" And so 
I would normally say no, <laughs> but but I'm I'm going to give it my very best shot. But You're defending I, the I people with the meth people. You betcha. Are you? Okay. Yes, indeed. I absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll, and I'll do everything I can for them. Okay. That's what you do in law. You everyone <laughs> deserves excellent legal representation if they can. If they can get, get it. it, yeah, and you're the defense side. <laughs> I'm the defense side. Yeah, I, yeah. I never work uh, defense for. I never in my career have have worked on the side of a a corporation or an insurance company. Uh, I've always been on the plaintiff side. Yeah, I I handled sex abuse cases um, on behalf of the victims, and I've handled uh, employment law litigation, class actions on behalf of employees but never never uh, with the big guys never never with the guys that drive the lexuses yeah i don't, I don't work for them yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah i'm my own warrior so these guys ain't gonna pay you you know that right you know that is an issue and i uh i've my kids my kids will and they tell stories about me people about what they've seen me do in my career they remember clients coming to me with a box of vegetables and you know, a client owes me uh, six, $7,000 and say, I really can't pay, but will you take this box of vegetables from my garden? And I say, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. That's me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the kids, the kids have seen that. So they always repeat it. Remember it. Yeah. That's daddy takes vegetables for pay. Have you ever known anybody to be on the, uh, on the DA side to go over to like defense yeah, I, I have absolutely, I, and they make uh, they can make real good defense lawyers too. Former prosecutors can. Yeah, um, I got one worked with a guy that that was a assistant attorney general, um, and he maybe because he wanted to make some money, maybe he was and he wasn't making much money. Of course, you don't when you work for a state justice department. And maybe he was sick of his job or other reasons, but he came to work uh, with a firm that I was with and joined me on a class action where we were suing a major insurance company on behalf of uh, all of their policyholders and uh, that were being screwed over by the insurance company, cheated. Yeah. And so this guy became uh, he became a completely different individual because he had been defending uh, with working for the state. He was he was constantly defending. Uh, government actions and all, and that's mm, defending criminals in another way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. To put it in so many words, and you did. Uh, so it was interesting yeah, to I see watched, him. I watched Car this and, week. It was pretty evident that that's a whole other game. Yeah. Oh God. Can't bear to see that guy. This is the most political I've ever been on a podcast. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm sorry I pulled you in that direction, Gary. Well, your knowledge of history say. kind of pulls it out. You know, history, it's been more history. I thought I turned off the, did you hear the ding? Yep. I did not. Oh, well, huh. I keep getting notifications and I thought I turned it off. So we are at two hours. Can you believe that? It's been great. I've enjoyed it. I have too. Um, very good getting to know you. I'll have to uh, watch out for your bands, your band. The one you're playing with now is, is the one with Jared, right? 
The the one with Jared, yeah, Lords of Blackpool. Lords of Blackpool. And um, and that's a combination of the M69s with just adding Jared. Jared took over the bass, and I moved to guitar. Oh, cool. And we'll be out there. Oh, cool. We'll be out there. We'll be playing. Look forward to seeing and you. Man. I mean, when we all can get back out there again. Hey, you take care of yourself. Take care of those five kids. Five, right? You had twins, yeah. twins, and a, twins and bookends. Absolutely. And a, and a 17 year old, and oh my goodness. Hey, y'all, thanks for following the Garland Pepper Show. I'd like to uh, really give a shout out to anybody that listened this far because, you know, that means you're a true trooper and true troopers just let me know that you're a true trooper. Just tell me, hey, I'm a true trooper. I don't even know what that means. But, you know, it'll be like a code that you can give to me. And then I would be like, oh, yeah, that's a person who listened all the way to the end because they said true trooper. And the only way you could know that is he listened to 5906. Yeah, or 59 earlier than that. So listen to the Garland Pepper Show. Share the Garland Pepper Show. Um, live your lives to your best. Love your friends. Love your family. Take care of yourself first. And then take care of everybody else. And, oh, yeah, I got a YouTube channel. Hey, Casey. Yeah. Thank you. You betcha, man. This is good, yeah. Absolutely. I'd do it anytime. All right, man. Hey, y'all have a good night. Thank you, Casey. All right. See ya. Garden Pepper out.